you know, there are some guests and some conversations that we have on radio that I just I like to take a step back and just find out the why that drives some guests to do what they do. And I think you'll be curious about this one, too. So our next guest is an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Manitoba. Joseph Polomeni is joining us. Joseph, I'm so curious as to know why you decided to analyze laughter on a deeper, more scientific level. Why did you decide to study this? What led you here? Well, it's an interesting question. It it started when I was a psychiatry resident, and I wanted to know the difference between, um, to, to find different traits between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And I noticed that a lot of patients who had schizophrenia sometimes didn't get the joke, and patients with mania uh, really loved humor and almost always got the joke. And I thought that a humor test could perhaps separate and 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 have us have us help uh, to distinguish the two disorders. I mean, I think that you touch on something so profound there that you can use laughter almost as a way to dissect or help define a certain mental illness. Uh, but I would imagine that studying humor, Joseph, sort of takes all the humor out of it. <laughs> no, it, it, uh, because it's an emotion, it doesn't. Uh, mm. uh, studying the structure of it uh, allows you actually sometimes to uh, to enjoy it uh, perhaps a little more because uh, you, you, you sometimes see a bit more nuance in it. Um, the jokes are still funny, uh, even if, and, and here's the other thing, the, the complexity of humor is so great that even though we have a, an inkling of what the structure may be, we do not fully understand all of the structure. It is complex. And to try to define what humor is and what's funny for some of us and maybe not for others, I would imagine would be very complicated. So walk us through sort of how you study this. Where do you even begin to scratch the surface to study humor? Or is it humor or is it laughter? Which is it? Well, that's a good question because humor and laughter are not the same thing. Humor is the cognitive structure that leads to a behavior called laughter. And so laughter is actually a almost seizure-like activity uh, that okay. uh, you, you get the stimulus of the joke and all of a sudden you go, ha, ha, ha. And it's almost an involuntary. It's, it's very similar to a, a neurological tick because you can, you can control a tick to a certain degree. Uh, and, 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 and laughter is, is very similar. I mean, if you think about if an anthropologist came from another planet and saw that somebody would tell us, uh, you know, and watched humans and, and saw that somebody would tell a story, and all of a sudden everybody just started vocalizing these weird vocalizations, ha, 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 uh, they would sort of look at that behavior and go, what is behind all that? Yeah, it is weird. You know, in preparing for this conversation with you and actually really thinking about something that I, you don't actually really focus on, it's, it's right. involuntary. It is a sort of strange thing to do in reaction to something else. It's a bit odd. Have You talk about it from, you know, kind of the, the, anthropolo- the anthropology sense of it. Yeah. Have yeah. we always laughed? Has it always been a part of our society as human beings? Well, that's an interesting question because uh, about 15 years ago, uh, um, I, I came up with the idea that created the um, minimum age for humor in in the uh, in anthropology, uh, and and 
uh, it's actually it's quite simple. Uh, what uh, you need three pieces of information. First, you need to know that humor uh, has a genetic basis to it, and so you can't learn humor if you're, let's say, from a different species. Uh, so, so you need a biological substrate. The second part uh, is that um, uh, I knew that Australian uh, indigenous. Uh, tribes were separated from the rest of the world for about uh, 40,000 years. So they were genetically separated. And if you could find humor in an Australian indigenous tribe, that gives you a minimum number for the age of humor. And then, so we did some research and we saw that some of the first pioneers who had had first contact with the indigenous tribes, so you, you rule out the fact that they could learn it from Westerners, um, mm. They observed humor and lots of it in, in these Australian indigenous tribes. If you put all those three pieces of information, it gives you a minimum age for, uh, for humor. Um, there's other things in, in anthropology. There's belief that art is about 50 to 70,000 years old. There's some belief that uh, some evidence that religion because of cave drawings is perhaps uh, 40, 50,000 years old. So these are all artistic endeavors that have fluid thinking so it's it's not a stretch to it's you know it's a, it's a reasonable speculation to think that humor may have come around 50 to 70,000 years ago so how do we how do we study it to then better us as people is a loaded question but let's sort of define the different types of humor that we experience as humans because it, it is kind of hard to define. I, I, find, I think yeah. that what we find well, funny think, might no. change over time. Yeah. Well, what's interesting there... is that it, it, what's interesting is 1998, a man by the name of Thomas Beach actually seemed to have cracked the code of humor. And of course, you know, it depends if you're ascribed to his theory. But his theory says that all jokes contain two views of a social situation. And at least one view has to contain a social violation. And that just seems to be universal. I've been playing with his theory for 20 years. I have never found a, an exception to the rule. Occasionally you hear a joke uh, that you don't understand, you know, you, you can't understand. But after a few months, you sometimes go, oh, now I see the second part of this, the, the right. joke. <laughs> right. You wonder if maybe a, a deep, dark part of your brain has just been working on that for, well, for a very you know, long the joke time. That was, the, the most difficult joke was why did the chicken cross the road? And will we ever know? <laughs> that was a tough that's that was a tough joke to, but but there is but uh, if you analyze it you can come up with two views of a social situation in the joke yeah so you talk you talk about humor having that sense of of societal violation and yes. i'm curious about that because i wonder if if there's maybe a risk to comedy or the things that we're allowed to find funny as we collectively oh. become you know, more sympathetic and, and kind of soft with our language and our approach to one another. Where do you stand on that? Well, I, I, I'm an advocate of uh, free speech, uh, uh, especially especially when uh, when at, when there's you know, when people make accidents that are one offs and not are, uh, and, and not a pattern of harassment or, you know, a dog whistle for for for, you know, a, a, a more darker message. And I, th- I do believe that some comedians have been victims of, of those one off mistakes. And uh, uh, and, and so, uh, I mean, here's the thing, the the whole point of humor is to discuss um, 
the boundaries of social norms, at least that's according to my theory uh, that I, I wrote up in, in 2016, I believe. Um, so, and, and I, I believe that's the evolutionary raison d'etre of, of, of humor. And, and so a comedian is literally playing with fire. I mean, he's playing with matches, I guess. And, 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 and occasionally, you know, he's going to go across, he or she is going to go across the social norm and offend somebody. So, it's almost to be expected. Hmm. So what do you, what do you, Yeah. sorry, please go ahead. I was going to say that, I mean, think about what jokes, just think about what jokes, you know, uh, you know, the kind of jokes you hear, you hear, it's often things about making fun of the boss, right? Uh, uh, There's a lot of, there used to be a lot of ethnic humor. There used to be humor about, you know, genders historically, Uh, a lot of humor between ages, teens and older people. This is all experimenting with social norms. You know, you're too selfish. You're too passive. You're, you, you know, the odd couple, you're too organized. You're not organized enough. It's all experimentation with social norms. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like there's a, a certain amount of it that's kind of based in reality, and the joke is the the release, the way to actually say the truth. But it's a joke, so you get away with it. There are diff- there are a few different types of of ways to define it, and I want you to to kind of help clarify yeah. for our listeners what what some types of humor are. There's there's three that that I, I found. There's the superiority theory, the relief theory, and the incongruity theory. So let's start with yeah. superiority, because that sort of sounds like maybe what we're describing right here. How, in your words, would you describe what that theory of humor is? Right. Well, these are older theories that I, I find that are not completely satisfying. And if you look at these theories, um, they are all subsumed under Tom's Beach's theory or my, you know, my uh, work uh, uh, about the evolution. So superiority theory, um, that was a theory that basically says that humor is just trying to make one person feel more superior to another. Well, yes, that is, is the point of a lot of humor, because a lot of social norms are about hierarchies. I mean, it, one can make an argument that the whole idea of a social norm is actually uh, to support um, what, we, uh, what scientists call the dominance hierarchy, but is, is understood as the pecking order in, in, within primates, including including uh, humans. So, so that's the super, superiority theory. But I think it only captures one aspect of, of of humor. Okay, and then of course there's the relief theory, which is sort of what we just described, where maybe you oh, say so the, something. Well, the- so the relief theory basically is, is was based on Freudian psychoanalysis that basically said, you know, there's tension with a joke. And when you laugh, you release the tension. Well, I mm-hmm. don't think that's the whole point of releasing tension. I think I think humor is too complicated to be a form of relaxation. I mean, there's evolution can find a lot of easier ways to relax an organism. It doesn't need to create this incredibly complicated structure. So I, that's why I don't describe to the relief theory again. It, it does have some uh, merit, though, as, as, as explaining an aspect of humor. So you take these theories and you say, look, there's a, there's a few holes in these, and then you create your own. Can you explain that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, 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 that's how science develops. And, uh, and I hope that uh, 10 years from now or, you know, uh, uh, that uh, someone's going to find holes in my uh, theory and, and improve upon <laughs> it. <laughs> and then the keep point of science. Keep... Vous êtes célibataire, c'est pas à cause de votre rire. J'espère pas. Non.
Welcome back to a little more conversation. I'm guest host Chelsea Bird. No secret that some people have some very unique laughs, and that's what we're talking about, laughter and humor and what it says about us as humans. Uh, Our guest studies laughter, studies humor. He's an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Manitoba. Joseph Polameni is joining us once again. So, Joseph, when it comes to when it comes to humor, when it comes to laughter, how does your research lend itself to psychiatry? Where do you hope to be able to apply this to really right. create some positive change? Yeah, very good question. Um, so I never got around to doing the the, the original study uh, that I wanted to do because I just kept getting distracted by uh, better questions and, and ones that uh, were less obvious. Uh, for example, um, we used humor as a probe to better understand some of the social deficits that are observed in patients with schizophrenia, because that could be a very serious problem. uh, And it it sometimes uh, causes problems at the workplace. Um, uh, We know that patients with schizophrenia have high unemployment, and yet, you know, they are not less intelligent. In fact, there's some evidence they may be more intelligent than the general population. So, so, you know, it's the social, some of these social, um, uh, not uh, a little lack of social acumen in, in, in key places that are sometimes causing big problems. And so we use humor as a probe, and, and we discovered that we were able to find out the, 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 the patients who had the greatest deficits in humor, we found out what type of uh, cognitive test they were doing poorly in. And we found that they were they were doing okay with calculation. They were doing okay with vocabulary. What they were doing poorly in was in uh, tests that uh, force mental flexibility. Uh, and there are certain tests uh, that, that, that uh, test that specifically. Uh, and all of the ones that tested mental flexibility, uh, the, the scientific word is set shifting. Um, but uh, And so we were able to find you know, uh, hone in on what are the problems in in in, uh, the, in some of these uh, social deficits. So, is this is this research then still something that's being explored as as simply research, or is, can this actually be applied to really help you know to define uh, or even diagnose um, a, a situation like schizophrenia? Yeah, um, it could it it could. Uh, I, it could help diagnose it, yes, uh, but I, I, I believe that it's just, you know, the, the diagnosis really is uh, of schizophrenia is contingent on bigger parameters. So, so humor is a, a smaller aspect of it, which is not so uh, helpful uh, with the diagnosis, although it can sometimes help distinguish between bipolar and schizophrenia. Again, there isn't one trait that completely defines somebody with schizophrenia or, or distinguishes between the two. These are constellation of symptoms that paint a picture or a mm. composite. So where then in an ideal world does your research lead you? Well, just keep learning. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think that ideally we would like to, you know, have people, uh, their social norms to be a little more normative, you know, so that people don't become outcasts. Um, uh, so I think, you know, uh, that's one, one thing. But I mean, just basically learning about who we are and how we tick. Uh, uh, and sometimes, you know, um, we don't, we we can't anticipate what 
you know, what we discover, how we'll lead somebody else, uh, to, you know, to, to, to lead to a, another discovery. Sure. Yeah. And to, and to really reveal and understand how important humor is to us as, as humans in so many different ways, as a, as a coping mechanism, as a decider for how to pick our romantic partners. The list goes oh, on and on. So yeah, and and people who engage in humor are are happier than people who don't. Um, so um, uh, again, whether you know, it's a bit of a two way street. Sometimes happy people are. It's easy to be uh, engage in humor when you're already happy. But I think that uh, I mean, there's some evidence that uh, humor therapy has helped depressive d- depressed patients. Don't want to overstate the effects. Uh, I think an antidepressants effects are are, are 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 much higher for a lot of people. Sure. Not, not all, uh, but uh, for some. Uh, so, but you know, everything, every little bit helps. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for talking about your research and for joining us on the show this evening. I really appreciate your time. And thank you for your interest in this topic.